0: Year journey with Jesus, and we've been doing other series from time to time to uh, break up this theme as we're going through the the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and we're in a section now of, of this series where uh, we're going to see in these uh, next few chapters really the the power of Jesus. Matthew is going to really show us what these miracles are supposed to mean as an impact to our lives and what Jesus has come to accomplish. And so uh, these are uh, beautiful uh, chapters that are given to us. And over the next few weeks, we'll be spending time in in Matthew 8 through 10 and really getting to zero in on the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Uh, As you come into Matthew chapter 8, Uh, you're going to notice that we have Jesus coming down off of the mountain. And chapters 5 through 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And now Jesus is coming down from that teaching uh, and is going about doing miracles and doing great works. And one of the things that is important to notice about the Gospel of Matthew is that the Gospel of Matthew is not telling a continuous linear story. And I think sometimes that can be a little bit tough for us as we're, we're used to reading everything in a singular, linear story. And so after this, then this happened. And after this, this happened. And after this, this happened. And, and that's not the way that Matthew records the events of, of Jesus. In fact, you might notice that these are very short accounts that are being given about what happened in the life of Jesus. And Matthew is placing these events together with the purpose of giving us another angle, another viewpoint to be able to see who Jesus is. Now, I bring this up for two reasons, and I think there are two really important reasons. Uh, number one, there is a great temptation when you are reading an account in the Gospel of Matthew to want to go to one of the other Gospel accounts to supplement the information that's being provided. Uh, In these three chapters in particular, you might read this as we go through them and go, I remember that event or that account, but Mark or Luke records far more details. And so I'm going to go over there and read uh, what all the other details that, that are provided there. And I'm going to encourage you not to do that because there's a reason why Matthew records it the way he does. In fact, I was fascinated in preparing for these lessons in Matthew. How many scholars and writers and commentaries, the first thing they do is go grab all the other gospel accounts and start putting the information into Matthew's. And I'm like, wait a minute. Matthew wrote what he wrote for a reason. And the Holy Spirit moved Matthew to write it the way that he wrote it for a reason. Nor do I believe Matthew wrote it so that everybody would go, oh, to understand Matthew, go, let me go find my copy of Luke somewhere, and then I'll be able to do that for the past 2,000 years. That's not what's going on, and so often we can have the tendency to think that we need to go get the other accounts, and I would submit to you that we're actually messing it up. There's a reason why Matthew has it the way that he has it. And so we need to take it the way Matthew is recording it, the way the Holy Spirit moved Matthew to write it. And that leads to the second point, which is these are very quick snapshots. There are times where Matthew gets very lengthy in his his accounting. And in doing so, they're more lengthy than the other gospel accounts. And there's a a point there where Matthew wants you to slow down and really enjoy and, and get those details that are being provided. But like here in chapter 8 with these quick pieces of information, rather than spending all of the time in just four verses and going, okay, what do we get out of this? Because I think that's why everybody runs to the other gospels to try to fill in more information. What Matthew is doing is putting these events together so that you would stand back and look at the stitching between them and see the big theme and the big story about who Jesus is. There's a reason why he's going to take in this instance four miracles and quickly throw them together because he wants you to see something amazing about Jesus by putting these quick accounts together. And so that's what we're going to do in a lot of our our studies over the next few weeks. And you'll certainly see that here this morning. In these miracles, one of the things that we're seeing about the power of Jesus and the title of our lesson is is to be healed. And this is a a, a common thing that is stated in these first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 8. After concluding his sermon, you see in Matthew chapter 8 verse 1, it says, He came down from the mountain... And great crowds followed him. I just want you to visualize that. You can imagine after this this amazing teaching, the Sermon on the Mount Declaration, and as he walks down, you can just visualize the, the thronging crowd that Jesus would have had. Uh, imagine if you would like what you see with sports stars or celebrities, when you have just thronging masses of people trying to get as close as they can to be able to to see the celebrity or try to hear them say something Well here is Jesus coming down from the mountain and it just says there are great crowds that are surrounding him they are following him they are looking for him they are listening to him everywhere he goes here is this massive crowd that is following him and in the midst of this massive crowd notice in verse two it says, a leper came to him. Now, visualize that for a minute. (laughs) And here we have someone with serious skin skin disease who was considered unclean, who would be removed from the community of Israel. Jesus is walking, huge crowd around him. And as the leper approaches, what do you think is happening? Just a, (laughs) a moving of people. Away from this leper so that they're not unclean by coming into contact with him. So you can just see all the people starting to move back as this leper has this boldness, this courage to come into the presence of Jesus. And notice what the leper does here. It says in verse two, he kneels before him. Just imagine as the crowd just steps back and just watching the scene. And he comes before Jesus and he kneels down. And I want you to notice what he says in verse two. If you are willing, you can make me clean. That is an amazing statement. Notice that you do not have him questioning the ability of Jesus. He doesn't come to Jesus and say, do you see this? Can you do something about this? Do you see I have a problem? Is there something that you can do? He doesn't say that. There's not a question about the ability of Jesus. There's no question of, I wonder if he might be able to help. I wonder if he could heal. I know this one's a little tough. I mean, I'm unclean and all of that. And I've got this serious skin disease. I wonder if he could do something for me. That's not the question. The question is simply, are you willing? I know you can do something. The only thing I'm wondering is, will you help me? You have the power. You have the ability. And he's asking, do you have the desire? Do you want to heal me? And what happens next is fascinating. You'll notice in verse 3. Verse 3 says, so Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Did Jesus have to do that to heal this man? No. Here is a man with a serious skin disease that anyone who comes in contact with him would be considered unclean. And Jesus chooses to reach his hand out and touch this man. And notice what he says. I'm willing. Be clean. And it says there, and then to verse 3, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately at the very words of Jesus and at the touch of Jesus and coming in contact with him and saying, I am willing, be clean. Immediately then this this cleansing happens. And what Jesus says next is, now, according to the law of Moses, go to the priest, show yourself to them. And notice it says as a testimony or a proof. A proof is that the healer has come. Here is someone with this skin disease that could not be healed. Now go show yourself to the priest that would not only allow him back into the community, but it's more than that. Jesus says, this is a proof. This is a testimony about who I am and what I've come to do. And the first proof that Matthew is showing to us is that we have one who wants to heal people. The first picture Jesus is giving to us is that this savior, this Messiah, this God that we serve, he has come because he desires to heal people. This picture is really amazing because what you are seeing here is that you are not going to come to Jesus for help and for healing and he is going to stand back and go, no. You can imagine, I know you can heal me. Will you heal me? No. That's not the answer you're ever going to give. In fact, I want you to notice that as you visualize the scene, if we have this great crowd around Jesus, and as this leper is coming toward Jesus, we would note everybody would be moving back. But there's one person who's not moving back. Jesus is not recoiling. Jesus is not saying, keep your distance. Jesus is not saying, I can't get near you. No, Jesus is coming up and touching him. Jesus desires to heal his people. And so often I think we cannot appreciate who our God is in his great desire to heal his people. He is not repulsed by us. He does not look at us and go, oh my, I do not want to get anywhere near that. That is too gross, too disgusting, too much, too bad. I'm out. Jesus reaches out and says, I want to heal you in coming to Jesus. You are seeing that you have a willing savior, someone who has come because he wants to heal you. Now, this next short paragraph connects into that thread. Notice the very next scene that Matthew wants to record, verse 5. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And your ser- and the servant was healed at that very moment. The first picture that Matthew was giving us is that in Jesus, there is a willingness, a desire to heal. And the second picture that is being given to us is that Jesus has the authority To heal. He has that ability and that right to be able to heal. The the scene here with the centurion is absolutely amazing because the centurion comes and says, I have a servant who is paralyzed at home and he is suffering terribly. And notice the willingness of Jesus. The very words, I'll come and heal him. That's what we saw in the first paragraph. I am willing to heal. I have come for this purpose. I have come to heal. But notice what the centurion says. You don't need to do that. Wow. You don't need to come to my house. Two reasons. One, I'm not worthy. Talk about an understanding of who Jesus is. I am not worthy for you to come into my house. But then he goes further with the second and says... I know I don't need you to come into my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. I understand authority. I am in charge of men, he says. And if I tell my soldiers to go, they go. If I tell them to come, they come. And he says, and I understand your authority. That all you have to do is say the words. Just say the words. And my servant would be healed. I want you to see something very powerful with the authority of Jesus. Is that just the words are enough for it to happen. He doesn't have to physically be there. He doesn't have to physically touch you. He doesn't have to come down from heaven and stand in your living room. It is the words themselves that are powerful. Just say the words and it can be done for me and my servant will be healed. And I want you to notice the amazement of Jesus at this. You know, I don't think it happened too often where people came up to Jesus and just said, you know, I don't need you to come. Just say it and I'm good. You know, there's no need to double check, you know, come to my house in case it didn't work, you know, and then you can take care of it. Just say it and it's good. I'll leave you alone. Just say the words and it will be done. The great faith that this centurion has is absolutely praised by Jesus. What is fascinating is we are very early into the Matthew account. We're coming off of the Sermon on the Mount. And who is the first person to be praised but a Roman centurion? A Gentile is showing extraordinary faith. So much so that you'll notice Jesus says, I haven't seen that kind of faith in all of Israel. I haven't seen somebody grasping my authority and my willingness and my purpose any better in Israel than what this person has been able to express and that's what he says people of Israel don't even understand this and he says something a little curious when he says there in verse 11 many will come from the east and the west To recline at this banquet table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into outer darkness. Really interesting picture because the the prophets were talking about and we've studied often in in Sunday nights and in our Bible classes about a, a calling and restoring of the kingdom. That the call will go to the east and the west and bringing back all of Israel, and there's going to be this great restoration. And what is fascinating is that Israel, the the people in the first century, they would have thought that restoration was specifically to physical Jews only, East and West Wherever they've been scattered, whether Assyria or Babylon or Persia or Greece or Rome, wherever they're scattered, they're all going to be brought back. And Jesus comes in and goes, no, when I said Israel being scattered east and west and they're all going to come back, I meant everybody. I meant everybody. I mean, even Gentiles. Because he uses that point and says they're going to come and the sons of the kingdom, that's physical Israel. Many of them are not going to get it. They're not going to understand. The centurion, this outsider, this Roman centurion has greater faith than what Jesus has seen in Israel up to this point. I'm not going to make a a lot of time here with it because Jesus is going to spend a lot of time in later chapters talking about eternal punishment. But I do want to take a moment to observe this first instance where Jesus talks about this. And you see that it's brought out in verse 12, where he describes what is going to happen in terms of eternal punishment. The imagery that he begins with is being thrown into outer darkness. I, I don't know if we have a good sense of what that is. Um I know one of the things that was creepy a long, long time ago, like back in 05 when when Hurricane Wilma came through uh, our area here, and for like our house, we were without power for over two weeks. And you have shutters on the windows. So when it's dark outside and the shutters are on all of the windows, it's pitch black. I mean, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And when your flashlight goes out, it's rough. (laughs) And it's trying to capture the kind of isolation of what that looks like. That eternity separated from God. It's like this outer darkness that there is no light, no scene, that kind of eeriness and then you notice the next line where he describes it as weeping and gnashing of teeth. What Jesus is going to spend a lot of time trying to do in his ministry is explain. In human physical terms, a spiritual reality of how bad eternal punishment is. It's hard to quantify into something physical what is a spiritual realm so how do you communicate the pain and sadness and loss of not being in relationship with Jesus so this is his first picture complete darkness weeping and grinding gnashing teeth that kind of pain, that's what he first uses. Now, why does he do that? Well, because what we're seeing in this first portrait of Jesus is Jesus has the authority and the willingness to keep you from that outcome. He's come to heal so that we don't have to have that as our eternal experience. That's why he's come. I've come to heal. I want to heal. And I have the authority to keep that outcome from happening to you. No surprises. I can make that where that is not your outcome. I have power over that. And so you've seen a beautiful picture of the power of Jesus in this moment. And trying to communicate to us that his words have the power to heal us. He has the ability to do that for our lives. He doesn't need to come down and physically touch us, but his very words can do that. Now take a step back for a minute with me, because I think this is a really important concept that's being brought out to us here. Do you and I look at the authority of Jesus in that light? That his words have the power and the authority to heal your life and cleanse you from sin. His words have such authority and power that they can keep you from experiencing eternal punishment described here as complete outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's why on that banner in the back, Our theme this year has been about looking at the life and the teaching of Jesus and how it has the power to change your life. I want to plead with you here in this little side point to read and know the word of God because it has the power to heal your life. Do we look at these words in that kind of light? Because that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am astounded at the faith of Centurion that I do not need to be there with my physical presence, but understands that it's by my very words that you can be healed, that you can be set free, that you do not have to experience that eternal outcome. His very words can do that. And the centurion understands that. You have great authority. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. I just need your words. And that'll give life. Just need your words. And that'll give healing. Friends, we have the power of God's words in our very hands. It is the power to change your life and heal your life. If we'll let it happen. Hold on to that. One more picture. Verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand. And the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. And that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word. And healed all who were sick. I want you to see the ability that Jesus has. We're seeing in the first picture, he has the desire, he has the willingness. The second picture is, he has the authority, he has that power. And the third picture is, he has the ability. Here first, Healing Peter's mother-in-law but the word that I really would like for you to underscore if you'd like to draw a color highlighting your Bibles I want you to highlight in verse 16 it's a very small word at the very end of verse 16 you'll see the word all he healed all who were sick there was not a single condition that was brought to Jesus and Jesus went yeah that one's a little tough That one's going to take me a minute. That one's going to be a little bit too much for me. And I want you to consider the faith of these people. They are bringing people who are possessed by unclean spirits and saying Jesus can take care of that. And he did. And they're bringing all kinds of sicknesses to Jesus. And it doesn't say, and Jesus kind of had to figure that one out. He just healed everyone who came to him. There's not a single condition that is too difficult for Jesus to heal. You know, sometimes we do that with God. Okay, I know that God can help other people, but look, my life, my life's really messy. I'm glad he's good for you, but he doesn't have the ability to take care of me. And I want you to see the picture here. There's no one turned away Where Jesus goes, well, I don't have the ability to take care of that. That sickness is too much. That sin is too deep. That one was too bad. That one was too awful. So I'm not going to deal with that one. You are seeing in Jesus the desire, the authority, and the ability to heal every single person. Every single one. That is the image that Matthew was trying to communicate to us. There is nothing too hard for Jesus to cleanse. There is nothing too hard for Jesus to heal. Now watch how Matthew pulls all of this together in this final sentence, verse 17. This is what this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You might recognize that, and it would be footnoted probably in your Bible. This comes from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is probably one of the more famous messianic prophecies. Often we read that during our Lord's Supper time. Isaiah 53, a picture of the suffering servant. And what is so interesting is that, Matthew quotes from there a passage that seems to be talking about spiritual illnesses, spiritual healing, spiritual problems, and the Savior has come to deal with sins. And here Matthew comes along and says, you know that prophecy in Isaiah and applies it to these physical things that he's doing, healing all of the diseases and all their sicknesses, just like Isaiah said, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. What Matthew is trying to get us to understand is that this visible display of Jesus desire and authority and ability to deal with physical sicknesses and physical problems is showing that he has the desire and the power, authority and ability to deal with our greatest problems. This is the visible display of it. Jesus is going to talk about that later. We're going to encounter these things. Because you can't see sin healed. That's not a visible action. So how can we know that he has the desire and that he has the authority and he has the ability? These miracles are to show it. These are showing. That the Savior who has come to deal with our greatest problem and solve our greatest need has arrived. He wants to heal. He's got the authority to heal. And he has the ability to take care of every single sin. The ability to offer as much cleansing as we could possibly need. You know, sometimes we look at God and go, but I have way too many sins. You can't do that before God. You can't come to him and say, I've got too much. He's got the ability. Nor can you say, well, they're, they're too bad. You know, okay, maybe they're just a few, but they're really, really bad ones. He's got the ability. Or maybe you think you, you've gone to the big leagues and you have too many and too bad. He's got the ability for that. Well, maybe he doesn't want to heal me. No, he, this is the whole reason he's come. Well, maybe he doesn't have the authority or the power to do it. Yes, he does. He has come because he wants to deal with this problem. And he has the power to deal with it. And he has the ability to deal with it. Jesus came so he could solve the very thing we need solving. Now, where this is quoted from, I think, is particularly interesting. And perhaps why Matthew wants to go there. Because you have this 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 picture that faith is what is ultimately holding us back. It's just threaded throughout this. In verse 2, the man with leprosy. He shows faith. You can make me clean. He believes it. You can heal me, no question. Same thing with the centurion. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus responds, go let it be done for you as you have believed. He confirms that faith. You believe in what I can do. It's going to be done for you just as you believe. We mentioned the faith of all of these people bringing the sick and bringing the oppressed and the unclean spirits bringing them all to Jesus. Life change will begin. And healing can only begin when we put our faith in Jesus. That's where it has to start. That's why Matthew wants to start right here. He puts forward the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what it looks like to be a disciple. First scene Will you have the faith to follow? Do you believe that Jesus has the desire? Do you believe that Jesus has the authority? Do you believe that Jesus has the ability to change your life, to heal you and cleanse you? That's what Matthew's putting forward. Now here's the interesting thing about the Isaiah quotation. You want to know what it said one sentence before that? Jesus quotes from Isaiah 53 verse 4. In verse 3 it said this. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Matthew, by quoting Isaiah, is putting forward the cosmic problem. He has the desire to heal you and save you. He has the authority to heal you and save you. He has the ability to heal you and save you. But we don't value that. We do not value that. So often, as a people, we hold him unworthy of our time. We consider him useless to our lives. We value our jobs. We value money. We value possessions. We put faith in ourselves and our own abilities. We put our hope in this life, in this world. We put it all right here, and we just line it all up. And this is going to be our hope. This is going to be our life. This is what we're going to value. This is what's going to heal me. If I just had that job, I would be healed and be so happy. If I just had this much money, then that would be the change. If I could just live there or do that, or if I had whatever relationship you think you're lacking that you need. That would be the healing thing. We value everything else. And think that's going to be the thing to heal and solve our greatest need. And that's what Isaiah is said. The servant, suffering Savior, servant comes so that he could take away all of our diseases and all of our illnesses and bring us great healing. And we despise him. We don't hold him with proper honor. We don't value him. And that's ultimately then what I think Matthew wants to leave us with. Is that Jesus has the desire and the authority and the ability to heal you. And here's just my question to you this morning. Do you value what he's offering? Does that matter to you? Because that's what he's come to do. Do not say Jesus can't. Do not say Jesus won't. Jesus is willing and able. The question is do we want him? Do we value him? Do we want that kind of transformation, life healing? Forgiveness and relationship with God that Jesus has come to give. We can keep going our own way. We can keep trying to heal ourselves. You tell me how it's going for you. We keep trying and trying. It doesn't get any better. He came because he wants to change your life, because he wants to heal you, because he has the authority to change your life and to heal you, and he has the ability to do it what's keeping you from that relationship. Value him, see him as the answer for your life so that you can have healing, help, and hope. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, oh Lord, thank you for Jesus. And thank you for this picture that you gave to us through your servant, Matthew. Lord, thank you for this beautiful picture of our Savior. Lord, thank you for your desire to save us. It is hard to even understand, Lord, for as sinful as we are, as wicked as we could be, that you would desire so desperately to cleanse us and heal us so that we could be your children. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for desiring for us to be with you. Thank you for your great love that heals us and cleanses us and restores us back to you. Lord, thank you for your authority that has that power over Satan, over sin, over all evil, that we can rely upon you and know that our eternity can be secure with you because you have the authority over it all. And Lord, thank you for showing the ability, your ability to heal every single disease, every single problem, every single uh Situation that Jesus encountered shows us that you have the ability to heal us from all of our sins. Lord, thank you for the Savior you gave us. Thank you for your Son. And we praise you for your love for us. Lord, forgive us for how often we do not value your Son like we ought to. Forgive us for valuing this world above your Son. for for valuing our desires, our possessions, our things, our health, our families. Lord, we value so much and we so often do not value you. Forgive us. And Lord, we pray that we would hold your son in his highest place, in that proper place, and that we would give him all glory and honor in our lives, valuing him as the Savior who has healed us, rescued us, and saved us from our sins and made us to be your children. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing an invitation song. As we sing it, we are inviting you to consider where you stand with God today, to see that Jesus has come for your life, that he has come with that desire and with that ability and with that authority to be able to give you a new life today. Your sins can be cleansed. There are no sins too difficult for God to forgive. And he wants you to come to him. He wants that relationship with you. Would you turn away from sin today and have that faith that it is through God, through him alone, that you can have forgiveness of sins and eternity with him? He wants that for you. He doesn't want that picture of eternal punishment. That is not his desire. He doesn't want you in darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's why he came so that that would not be your outcome. If you're ready to respond to that invitation, you can talk to me afterward, you can talk to somebody next to you afterward, or you can come forward right now while we stand and while we sit.